Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. Shall we... Uh, good evening. Shall we take the refuges and precepts together? Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa buddham saranam gachami dhammam saranam gachami sangham saranam gachami dutiyampi buddham saranam gachami Dutiampi dhammang saranang gachami Dutiampi sangang saranang gachami Tatiampi buddhang saranang gachami Tatiampi dhammang saranang gachami Tatiampi sangang saranang gachami Panati pata veramani sikapadang samadhyami Adinadana veramani sikapadang samadhyami Abramacharya Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Musawada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Sura Meraya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Vikala bhojana veramani sikapadang samadhyami Nacha gita vadita visukadasana Malaganda vilepana dharana mandana vibhusanatana Veramani sikapadang samadhyami Uchasayana Mahasayana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Idame Silam Magalapalanyasnasa Pachayotu So this is a quote uh, from Joseph, uh, one of his books. Sometimes, from day to day, it's easy to forget what we're doing in dealing with the restlessness and the aches and pain and wandering mind when we're on retreat. But what is happening imperceptibly from moment to moment, but very progressively, surely and steadily, is the development and growth of these limbs of enlightenment 
It is a very great thing that is uh, being done. It is the noblest evolution of mind. So in this uh, quote, uh, Joseph is talking about the seven factors of awakening. And so this is the topic of uh, the talk tonight. This is moi, Mr. List. <laughs> but there's a tradition of uh, list people. The Buddha was the first. <laughs> he was very big on list. Um, this, uh, these uh, qualities of mine uh, are um, they're very important because it's their perfection uh, that leads to the uh, awakening uh, of the mind. Uh, and uh, so this is what we do here. We like, I think of us sometimes as a little uh, chicken sitting on little eggs. And you know, we're, you know, we're not like in the quotes, we're not too sure what we're doing, you know, but we're kind of feel compelled to sit because the others are sitting, you know. <laughs> so we come and, you know, we make our little spot and then we sat, sit for 45 minutes and then we walk out, you know, we're not too sure why. <laughs> Get the little nibble to eat, then we come back to sit, you know. And we do this on and on and on. <laughs> and so what is happening is uh, if you think that our mindfulness or uh, continuity of our mindfulness is like the, the heat uh, for the hen, uh, it's like there's this little egg there and there's something that is happening. And, uh, and at some point, <coughs> the egg will uh, crack open and uh, out will come, you know, freedom. <laughs> will be a moment of freedom. So I'd like to look a little bit at what's going on in the egg. And, and so, uh, so uh, you can kind of zoom in the egg and you'll see that there is kind of this energy inside vortex-like or spiral-like. And, uh, and so when we, uh, we're applying the mind um, to be mindful. The mind gets uh, curious, and there's investigation that comes in, and curiosity. And <clears throat> we make this. We start making discovery uh, discoveries, and then it uh, it gets uh, more exciting. What's going on in there, and uh, and there's uh, this joy that builds up, and. Uh, and the mind gets contented with what is happening, the discoveries and the nature of reality and all this. And so it quiets down and it gets even more uh, precise, more clear. And then because of this clarity, the investigation is much more uh, efficient. And because we're able to use effort well, we abandon what's not needed and we uh, keep all the, uh, the good stuff. It builds like this, like, um, um, kind of a, a upward spiral. And so it's a kind of synergy. So these qualities that I'm going to talk about, they kind of work uh, together. And they all start with mindfulness. So in a way, I could not talk about them because it is said that just by being mindful, in the wake of mindfulness comes uh, all these qualities. So our job is in a way is very, uh, very simple, is to keep uh, attending to the egg. That's one way to talk about it. An image that is used in the sutras is um, the invitation to stay at, if you imagine a, a saw and uh, there's a piece of wood, a long saw, and you're cutting the piece of wood. So the indication is to not follow the saw, you know, like this, but keep your eyes exactly at the point where the saw meets the wood and keep very steady. And this is, this point there is the present moment. And so if we do this, all these other qualities are going to 
they're going to be born out of this attending to what is here now. Not only are they going to be born from it, but this mindfulness is also going to be used, um, going to naturally uh, bring balance to them. Because I'll talk about them this, um, well, let's do it now. There's uh, seven of these qualities. And right in the middle, there's three on each side. And right in the middle, there is mindfulness. That's the first uh, of the seven factors of awakening. And there's three on one side. They are the calming or tranquilizing factors. So these are the factors that will bring into play when the mind is, uh, has a lot of energy, a lot, uh, there's agitation, maybe will we'll, uh, invite, call forth these qualities of mind. So these are uh, tranquility, um, concentration, and equanimity. On the other side, you have the energizing factors. There are three also. So there's energy itself, investigation, and um, rapture or enthusiasm. And so when the mind is getting a little bit sluggish or slack or lax, then you bring up the, uh, the energy, energizing factor, and then it gets, the mind gets balanced and can meet reality in a in an effective way, I could say, again. So these seven can be in the mind at the same moment. They can all be present in the same mind moment. They don't, they're not against each other or independent. Or they, it's possible to have them all together. So uh, mindfulness is like, if you think of a... What is this game for kids like this CISA, no? So if you think of mindfulness is like right in the middle and it's, it's helping uh, balance them. It says that the five hindrances, they're kind of one of ways to talk about them is their function is to make us forget what we know so well. So when we're in this, in the, we're taken by hindrances, we forget uh, the wisdom that we have acquired because something looks so appealing and I have to have it now, you know, or something is, uh, I really don't want and I don't want to hear anything about it and there's closing of the heart and the mind and, and then there's acting in all sorts of ways. So the hindrances, they, they make us forget our wisdom. The seven factors, they make us uh, remember and know much better what we already hardly know. What we hardly know with the seven factors really come to light. It's highlighted, the, the wisdom is highlighted. The Buddha said, just as a river uh, inclines and flows towards the ocean, so the awakening factors inclines towards Nibbana. When developed and pursued, they lead to the culmination of clear knowing and release. Okay. So let's look at them uh, all together. Uh, I mean, separately. <laughs> so mindfulness with. Okay, I know, like it, it's really been out there. Been out there. We've <laughs> talked about this a lot. We've practiced it a lot. But I think it's good to look at it a little bit again because sometimes the mind has like a, just an angle where suddenly there's something that has been said so many times and is heard like for the first time. I don't know if you have this. I think you do because some people report this uh, in interviews and I certainly had this many times. Like, God, I've heard it so many times and now it just made sense for some reason in a new way. So, so this mindfulness is, uh, is just a... Uh, keeping something in mind. It's just a remembering something. And the something is the present moment. Just keeping this in mind. And when it forgets it, it's also its job to remember it again. So sati, mindfulness, remembers that it's 
has forgotten itself. It does that. Um, I like to think about it uh, uh, as water sometimes because it's clear and transparent and also because it really touches what it encounters. It really gets close. Imagine water going down and there's something right there in the middle, an obstacle. It's not going to react. It doesn't react. It's very responsive. So if there is an obstacle there, it's going to meet it completely and surround it and go around it and under it if it can. And if it's something that is porous, like a sponge, it's going to get into it. So that's one way to think about mindfulness. It knows really well and from the inside. In the, in the suttas, you hear this instruction, know uh, the body from within the body. So it's not like above, like this. It's knowing the, the things from very, very uh, close as water. Or if we want to go even further, we'll say uh, of this image of a piece of cork or watermelon on the river. The watermelon doesn't sink. It just like follows the current. So does the cork. It's like, this is kind of how we are in life. You know, like, oh, this, oh, that, oh, I remember this. Makes me think of that. You know, we're like cork. And this mindfulness, when it develops and it gets strong, it's more like a rock. So when you put it somewhere, it just sinks to the bottom of this. Another aspect of mindfulness also is that it's, uh, it's um, I don't know if I can say this in English, it's participative, participatory, participating. Yeah? So it means it's not just a passive thing that, uh, uh, that doesn't influence anything. Although it's not judgmental, it just wants to know exactly the things as they are, it is also important to know that it's a new condition that comes in the mind when there is mindfulness. Things are not the same. If there is, and you know that, if there is mindfulness brought to irritation, it's, there's a new condition in there. Things are changing already. There is an observing something. There's a, there's a, something else is happening and it's, it's having an effect. So it's important to know that. I also think about it as um, the best strategy to meet life. So that's kind of a selling point for you if you're not convinced yet. <laughs> <laughs> if mindfulness is present in a moment of pleasantness, it will really know the pleasantness. It won't tend to fall into uh, strategizing to keep it to keep it going, to get more of it. If there is a clear mindfulness, it's going to really get very close and feel the pleasantness of life. Yeah. If it's neutral, it's not going to miss it. It's going to be able to touch it also for what it is. And then if it's unpleasant, it's also going to avoid the reactivity of the mind. It's going to uh, be able to uh, uh, meet it. And because in the wake, of mindfulness, there is all these other qualities, and the remembering, the most, uh, uh, the wisdom we have access, we might have access to. Because of that, there's going to be a possibility to make better choices. So we're able with mindfulness to bring ease in what is uh, uneasy, to bring some ease. Now I talk a little bit about uh, investigation, <clears throat> which in the real translation would be, would be investigation of Dhamma. And this little last bit of information is very important. Uh, so for me right there, the, in the indication is that we're, investigation, uh, we're investigating not me, moi, my life, and what I will do and how I'm perceived by people. And we're not, this is not it. The Dhamma, investigation of Dhamma. Dhamma means uh, phenomena. Phenomenon? 
choose yours. Um, it's, so it's not something personal that we're looking at when we bring this. We're looking at how things comes to be, how mind and matter are interacting, how they influence each other and dance together, how qualities of mind influence, influence uh, thought processes, uh, actions of uh, body and speech. So we're kind of getting out of the personal and looking at the nature of reality, of cause and condition. So in a way also you could think about it as when we're doing an investigation of Dhamma, it's not so personal, but we could think about it as universal. What it is to be a human being. If you don't want to get too clinical, it's scary or uninteresting for you, or that's too clinical, this observing phenomena. You could think about it as observing what it is to be a human being. What it is, it's not your uh, depression, your anxiety, your confusion, but confusion in the heart-mind of a human being. So we're kind of getting a little bit out of the realm of the personal. And of course we get sucked into this all the time. And of course it does exist. It's just that uh, we're kind of imbalanced. The personal for us is like all there is a lot of the time. And now, because of this quality, we bring the balance back. It's not so much about me. It's about how things comes to be, and now they're let go of, and now they're uh, uh, fed when they're wholesome. Uh, and so that connects us with the rest of humanity. So when we're investigating, what we're doing is we're uh, kind of... Uh, probing under uh, all the assumptions that we have. And we really meet uh, the reality as it is. And so we get rid of ideas and we get closer to the experience as it is happening. And then we're, uh, we're discovering it anew. And most of the time, what is interesting is that we're doing this with very ordinary things. We're not... Um, spending so much time on the cushion and walking, you know, seeing light and being with the devas and, uh, you know, being absorbed in uh, the seventh uh, uh, jhana. We don't spend so much time doing this. Huh? We spend a lot of time looking at uh, and feeling very ordinary stuff like breath, like uh, pressure on the butt, like uh, regular old little insecurity, you know, like uh, regular old, oh, what do I do next, you know, or uh, all this, this stuff, or, or, or just this kind of okay, kind of calm, you know. This is what uh, a lot of our time is spent doing. But these becomes uh, dhammas, things to get really close to and, uh, and experience. And for me, actually, that's the part of practice that I love the most, is bringing interest to something that doesn't seem so important. It's, happen it's happening s so much of the time, like thinking. But what is thinking? What is between two thoughts? That happens a lot. But suddenly to stop and look at this, what's in there? Or what is the nature of uh, pressure? So there's uh, two ways that I think we can do this. There's a way that I would call it more passive. So we just, we're there and we're letting um, events, phenomena unfold by itself. And we're just letting it do its thing. And we're uh, keeping an eye on change, how it changes, how it behaves, how it transforms, how it causes something else to arise. 
So how uh, there's a moment of calm, there's joy that ca comes on the recognition of calm, and then it's followed by a moment of pride. I got it. And it's just, so this is investigation, but it's in a passive way. You let it do its thing. My uh, analogy is uh, beavers and biologists. When they go to uh, observe the beavers, they don't mess with the beavers. They just hide and they look at what's going on. Ah, they do this. This is when they, and they keep taking notes. Ah, this is when they do this. They don't get involved. So that's like one way to uh, look at it. Another way to think about it is more uh, an active uh, way, uh, kind of deconstructing. One way that we'll, we're doing it here, uh, there's several ways I'm going to talk a little bit about this. So one way that is very key, it's a very important insight, so it's worth putting attention to this. And I've just talked about it a few minutes ago. It's the relationship between mentality and materiality. Now we're really in the world of Dhammas. Not Dhamma as teaching, but Dhammas as phenomena. There's many translations to the word Dhamma. So just watching this, what is mentality and materiality. That's a, a really good way to start to deconstruct what I call self, just by two. Seeing that when there's an intention in the mind to reach, suddenly there's uh, the experience of the body is different. There's this extension movement which was not there before yeah. we start to deconstruct make a difference between an unpleasant sensation and the reactivity to it this is something we start to it's not just like my damn pain it's sensation strong sensation and not liking and unpleasantness so it it, it breaks down yeah Another way we divide stuff also is by starting to see uh, the difference between the object, what is known, and the knowing quality of it. So there is movement of the breath, movement of the belly rising and falling. So there's this, and there's the knowing of it. And the knowing is quite something else although it's completely mixed in some of you are are uh, investigating this the difference between the object and the knowing of quality of it <coughs> another way to make uh, investigation is to bring in uh, the frame frames of reference of uh, that are in the satipatthana sutta so i talked about this earlier as putting on glasses. That's one way to experience, uh, uh, to investigate our reality. So I'm in a conversation with somebody and I'm getting annoyed because I can't make my point heard or because this or that, you know. And so instead of, of being in my story of they're not listening to me, I, I've said it, but they obviously are not hearing what I'm saying. Uh, instead of being in there, I just go and change the glasses and start to investigate reality in terms of the four noble truths. Oh, there is stress here. First noble truth. Oh, this is it. This is what the Buddha was talking about. There is uh, suffering here. Okay, what is the cause? I have, a, I have an agenda. I'm clinging to the idea of being heard, of making my point. This clinging. Second noble truth. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, this is actually the fourth noble truth because I'm actually looking at it. I'm attending to this that is happening. Ah, this is the path. I'm on the path. I'm not off the path. Good. And then there's like, oh, okay, maybe I'll be able to make my point at another time. It's not worth getting too stressed about this. End of suffering. Momentary Nibbana. Third noble truth. You see? So that's one way to... to investigate realities just to change glasses and start looking at this or as you're sitting on the cushion you do this you're sitting and then you're going like what's the attitude in the mind this is investigation what is the attitude here is there leaning forward looking for something satisfying or is there like a 
kind of uh, cannot sit another one of these sit, you know, or what, you know, and then you can say, oh, there's a presence of a hindrance here. So this is a way to look, looking at the seven factors of enlightenment, that's what you might start to do now that you're hearing about these. What is the balance in the mind between the energy part and the calm part of the mind? Is there balance here? So you can do this. When you do that, you don't have to get rid of your object of meditation. If you're looking at breath, if you're hearing sounds, if you're resting with calm and joy, if you're sitting here with uh, the ad some kind of agitation, you don't have to, to, to abandon it. In the midst of it, you can start to look, how am I attending to this agitation? How am I attending to hearing right now? Is there balance in the mind or not? And with this investigation, what we come to see are the three uh, characteristics. So all events that we go through in life, that we hear, smell, sound, uh, uh, see, any of the things that happen in our mind and uh, in, uh, in, through our senses, basically, as uh, specific characteristics. Some things are blue, some things are loud, some things are big, some things are small, some things are gross, some things are subtle. They all have different qualities to them. That's how we can recognize them and, and, cl and classify them. Some things are heard and some things are seen. Yeah. So these are the specific characteristics of all the different events or things arising. But they also have in common these three characteristics. Anything that arises in your experience has one of these three, no, these three characteristics are there. They're universal characteristics. They're impermanent. They're changing. Um, and they're not, um, they're unreliable. You cannot m put them there and have them stay there forever and control them. They're, and another way to talk about it, that is they're un ultimately unsatisfying. They cannot provide a deep happiness. And lastly, they're not, they cannot be owned. Yeah. So these, and with investigation, this is what we're getting closer to. This is what we're starting to get interested in. Not so much in the, the sp specific qualities, but the, all, the uh, universal qualities. So that's investigation, yeah? Energy. Energy, uh, Joseph gave a whole talk on it, so I won't spend so much time with it. But I'll ask you, if your eyes are open, to close them just for a moment. And just feel the aliveness of this body. There's life in here. There's energy in here. This is alive. This is not an inanimate thing. This is an animate thing that is here. So this is the basic energy that we work uh, with. It's this, this is to make the point that it's already there. I used to think about energy as a I have to kind of produce it, and, and uh, sometimes it's also presented as effort. And I was always thinking, okay, so when you meditate, you know, it's like pushing a car with no gas up a hill. You know, like you have to do it, but it's not like this. There is energy here. It's available. The art is to know how to direct it and how to use it. There is plenty. And what we uh, often do is that this energy is uh, dissipated, scattered here and there with many different concerns. And so we, we don't have access to this, uh, all this amount of energy because it's kind of going in all directions. So what we need to do is just to uh, either gather it in one direction towards the practice or another way to think about it, maybe, is to uh, abandon, let go 
of, uh, of the extra stuff that is uh, not useful, where the energy gets dissipated. So what do we let go of uh, when we're here? We let go again and again of the past. We let go of the future. It means that if a thought arises about the past, we know that there's a thought arising here and now. If there's a thought about the future, we bring back the energy instead of going in the future, we bring it back to there's a thought about the future arriving now, uh, arising now here. We let go of our story. And so there's much more energy to attend to what is presently here and changing all the time. We let go, in the text it's written, we let go of our concerns for the world. So I'm talking about renunciation here. And uh, the first time I read about this renunciation, the Buddha was, uh, it was a, in the sutra, and the Buddha was saying, when I hear uh, the word uh, renunciation, my heart leaps with joy. And that really triggered my mind because I thought, oh, well, not me. That's not exactly what it does to me. <laughs> but that's one of the first things, actually, I heard about uh, the Buddhist practice. But it really made me curious. I was like, why, why would it make his heart leap with joy? And that's, in a way, I could describe my path as an investigation of this statement. And to see how much contentment can come from abandoning, like dropping it, being okay with unfinished business. This is what's going to happen when we die. We're, we, we're going to die. We might not have time to return all the phone calls. <laughs> you know, there's going to be some unfinished business. And can I actually be okay with unfinished business? And that's what we do in the cushion. Yeah, but is it possible for me to practice dying right now? letting go completely now of my story and then receive the energy from that. So that's one way to, uh, to uh, gather the energy that is already available. Another one is to remember why we're doing what we're doing. What's our ultimate concern? So for me, if I just spend a little time thinking, I really want to know, uh, that's my mind, you, you might have your own way of say, saying this or something else, but I really want to know the mechanism of trouble. I want to know how trouble arises, how it gets deeper, how I get deeper in trouble. And I want to know the mechanism of, of freedom, how it's built, how it comes about. And I want this to have an impact on the world. I want to go and not have, at least not have left bad uh, traces behind me. At least be able to say I left it pretty clean. Yeah. So just thinking about this, the ultimate uh, concern. Another way to t think about this energy also is to apply it on the kind of long term. It's like sharpening a knife. Huh? It's not like putting all the energy. It's really like long enduring. That's why here we talk a lot about continuity for many reasons. But that's a way to talk about energy, to keep it steady. And, uh, and so that's one thing you can check when you're checking your factors. How is my energy? Am I applying it? Uh, in a way that is sustained. So there's the launching energy that is very important, the aiming energy, and then the sustaining energy. So in a way, it's very simple. We just come back to what is here now. What is here now? It's the only place where we have to put our energy. 
now this uh, in Pali the so there is okay so mindfulness is in the middle we have investigation energy and the last energizing factor is rapture or enthusiasm there's many uh, translation for it pity joyful interest so this comes from uh, discovering the truth touching something getting more um, ability to at walking this path at doing this practice You're like oh I'm I'm getting it like it did work you know I was able to sustain the attention or oh I really saw the difference between reactivity and unpleasantness and so when there is like these little insights and the bigger ones there's the energy that comes we get fed back uh, from our practice and then we can feel inspired so it can come from the inside but it can also come from the outside so hearing an inspiring discourse there's some discourses uh, here that were taught in the month where after I was like so inspired uh, by it it had really an effect on both my mind and body I could feel it physically um, so um, and the f funny thing is a few days ago I was up upstairs uh, reading the Visuddhimagga that's this old text about uh, uh, practice about the path and it I, it just works with my mind I love reading this stuff so I was I was reading it and and really finding it so intelligent and how the Dhamma is constructed and how everything fits together and and uh, it was just fascinating and then I came here to sit the 615 sit and I was sitting and I could see all the bubbles in my body and it was really directly related to having uh, 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 read uh, the Dharma and being really inspired and touched by uh, the intelligent the, the depth of it and, the, and also it's not just intelligent and deep it's leading towards uh, freedom and uh, and well-being and so I could feel it so this rapture uh, sometimes is, is felt very very f in a physical way when all these factors are getting together uh, of investigation and energy and the attention is sustained sometimes you'll feel um, there's kind of five I think classic description of it it can be like a bolt it comes like a bolt of energy you're like uh, just for a second it just like you have your body does like this you might have felt this sometimes this it comes as a as a, a, sh a goosebump so you're sitting here and and suddenly there's this kind of joy in the mind and and it it, it does something on the surface of the skin you can feel this um, sometimes it's shower like it it goes like there's a thing that goes you feel a shower inside your body or it goes up or a wave like yeah there's another one where is lightness you're sitting here and you feel suddenly light as if somebody was carrying you or it was not you supporting yourself but either being light or being supported by some energy that's how it can show up and um, another one is uh, the entire body it says is suffused with joy with uh, or tingling uh, as if a sponge were, were full of water and so you feel it in every cell it's kind of uh, giggly would be one way to talk about it so these are like kind of the the fun little ride that we can get uh, uh, in the practice but it's not the end and we might get a little caught in it and really and it's possible to actually enjoy it and chances are we're gonna get caught it's part of the uh, the deal but at some point we're also gonna let it go and uh, say okay uh, I don't need this to come back this that was there yesterday and and I don't need to look for it but this comes with the practice and when there's this joy um, often it will be followed by whoops now we're going in the uh, calming factors it will be followed by tranquility and we talked about this uh, this morning somebody had a question about this and so there was this I described this joy that is uh, um, has a lot of energy into it and at some point naturally it's going to kind of pass 
It's a little bit like if you're in the desert and uh, suddenly you see uh, you're thirsty and it's hot and you see a body of water, not a mirage, but a <laughs> mirage, but a real body of water. And you suddenly there's like, this is uh, an Im Im image that is used for rapture. You're, oh, and you run towards it and then you bathe in it and you drink it and it's really, really good. And after, ah, it's been very nourishing and uh, took care of your thirst and cooled the body that was so hot. And then it goes like, oh, and then you go sit in the shade. And that's like the tranquility uh, factor. And then you can go and rest in the shade. And so often it will follow like this. Um, this tranquility uh, is uh, really due to the, uh, the absence of the, of the hindrances now. Desire and aversion are away and the mind uh, is contented with what is here. And so it's not looking anywhere. Uh, the agitation is gone also. The mind is just here, resting with what is, uh, what is present. And this also might be uh, something that we need to, uh, an acquired taste. Because maybe the first time we might miss it. That's where sometimes we start to think, what should I do now? We have this in meditation sometimes, like, okay, like, so how? What should I do now with this? And this is where we are missing the, the calm of the mind. And so the, uh, the invitation is just to recognize it first. Oh, there is calm here. Let me feel it well. Let me know it in a physical way and in, in, in terms of the mental experience also of it. If it's absent, it's possible to actually make a resolve and invite it. It's actually something we can do with all the factors. When we see that it's on, uh, out of balance, it's possible to say, uh, I invite, I'm opening to calm. That's what we're doing uh, when we follow the first instructions of breathing that uh, Joseph uh, talked about from the first uh, day or two of the retreat saying, with uh, the in-breath, I calm the body. With the in-breath, I calm the mind. Yeah? So it's possible to invite it, but then don't get, <laughs> it's kind of an open invitation, we could say. Yeah? So if you see that there is a little bit too much uh, agitation, too much investigation, too much looking around, you can say, may calm arise here. At some point, our minds, they, get, they start to get a little bit more pliable, malleable. And so we don't have to do much. We can give a little indication to the mind and it will actually follow it. So a few words on concentration, which is the second uh, calming factor. Concentration is this unification of the forces of the mind. Uh, in w one way to describe it is several moments of mindfulness stuck together. When there's many moments of mindfulness together, then we have concentration. The mind is unified. Um, there's two kinds of concentration we could talk about. Uh, one would be a one-pointed concentration. That's usually the first image we have when we hear this word concentration. We think of uh, focusing on something very precise, like if we do anapanasati, uh, attention of the breath at the upper lip or in the, in the um, nostril here, and we get really, really, really one-pointed to a very small area and we stick to that. That's how we often think of uh, concentration. But concentration can also, uh, it could be one-pointed, but kind of reverse one-pointed. I'll show you what I mean is that the mind is unified, this is the point, is unified uh, in the present, but it's completely open like this. So instead of being like that, it's kind of like this. So the mind is here, and it's, it's, uh, it's, all the forces are gathered, but it's open. 
So it's much more wider and spacious, we could say. So that's another way to experience the unification of mind. Yeah. So there would be a way to uh, be very present and instead of going with each object that arises, if uh, it would be more on the stream of arising, the stream of things that are passing by. So the mind is wide open and is just seeing impermanence passing by in all kinds of forms and ways. Yeah. It's possible also to have a momentary concentration that goes um, with uh, when we practice open awareness, but where we will... Uh, so an example of this would be, so I'm sitting here and I feel for a moment uh, the sitting, uh, the sitting here, the touching, and then the breath, the in-breath appears, and then the next thing is heat in the face, and there's uh, knowing that the mind is actually present and that is satisfied, and then uh, the other breath arises. So there is concentration there, but it goes from one event to the next freely like this. Yeah. So a way to use these, these different versions, I would say, is uh, what I've found in my practice is sometimes the mind gets tired. And to refresh the mind from, uh, let's say I have I'm practicing choiceless awareness. The mind is going from here to there. It's moving in different things. It's touching things and see uh, that the consciousness is arising and passing here and there. And the mind gets kind of tired. Uh, there's a way where I can decide to uh, bring, t I'll stay on the breath and come and rest there. So now I'm bringing a more uh, focused attention and I'm resting there and staying, resting the attention in the breath. And what it does for me is it, it'll, it'll bring back the energy, will refresh the mind so that after I can start to investigate again. What are the qualities of mind here? How is this uh, mind behaving, etc.? Hmm. So the last uh, of the factors, calming factors, is equanimity. And I really won't say much about it because Tomorrow evening, you'll have the chance to hear about it for a whole talk with uh, Rebecca. So I don't want to say too much, but I'd like to say a few things. Actually, there's this, this little quote that I found from... Um, uh, in a Buddhist magazine one time, and uh, Darlene Cohen was describing, uh, it was just a little description of what I, I thought was a really beautiful expression of uh, equanimity, a quality of equanimity that I like. Uh, Rebecca already said, I think, that there was maybe 11 kinds of uh, equanimity, so it, it can show up in many different forms. Um, but one uh, way that I enjoy experiencing it is when uh, the mind is so stable and present and in a way uh, contented with what is arising like what is arising is plenty often I think about it as plenty of reality this is plenty of reality this or something else that's it's full of reality here you know I can attend to it and there's a way when the mind gets uh, uh, let's let's go of preferences and really is interested by what is here now where uh, everything becomes uh, very let me read the quote she does it better than I do when preferences for particular experience fade the myriads things come forward to play shimmering with suchness obviously flowers and trees do this, but so do 
beer cans and microwaves. They're all waiting for our embrace. It is enormously empowering to inhabit a world so vibrant with singularity. This is where the mind is uh, stable and in so interested and stable that what is here has some perfection to it. And this is what we can, uh, we can develop. And so uh, if we present the seven factors as a linear thing, that mindfulness bring investigation, arises energy, brings rapture, leads to calm, that leads to concentration, and then there's equanimity there. If we think about it in this way, it's there that we enter a world that is still very ordinary, but in an extraordinary way. And it makes everything has some rich richness to it, very unique. And okay, I'll stop there because I, I could say a little bit more. So talking about this ordinariness, I have a little other little of my favorite poems to read you from Paul Raps. It's called Grass Blade Experiencing. This is the law. No sames. No same leaves, pebbles, person, places, times, faces, grasses. Whoever disobey this law gets bored. So uh, these seven factors, if you forget them, just think of mindfulness and calming and energizing. And the Buddha said, uh, if you, have, uh, you want to start a little fire, is it a good idea to put on it wet cow dung? Is it a good idea to put on it water uh, or wet grass? No, it's not a good idea. So if the mind is a little sluggish, it's not a good idea to bring uh, calm and concentration in there. What you need is to bring energizing factors, bring interest. Hey, what's going on here? Can I really see the beginning of the in-breath? And the whole cycle of it. Uh, can I watch to see what is in the mind? What qualities are present? So this is what you do. So is it a good idea when you want to start a fire to bring in dry grass? Dry cow dung. Yes, it's a good idea. So that's what you do. And the opposite, same thing. When there's like uh, too much energy, then you can uh, bring in invite calm. Invite uh, concentration, uh, get closer to the experience, and rest in it. Yeah. So this balancing of the mind. You can check right now. What are the conditions in there? What can be abandoned? What can be known? What can you bring curiosity to? What can you rest in?
May all beings, when they have the chance to uh, hear these teachings and uh, develop these qualities of mind that lead to freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.